that's it. That tune, that song, that means it's time, baby. It's time for Philanthropy and Focus. I just made that journey from the kitchen up two flights of stairs to the top of my house, just below the roof. Where is Tommy? Tommy's in the attic. Tommy's in the attic. Philanthropy and Focus, that's the name of the show. Uh, I think I'm going to take some singing lessons. I, I met somebody recently who said that he didn't take singing lessons until he was 35 and now he goes all around up and down the east coast uh singing frank sinatra tunes and he gets paid for it i don't mean he just goes up and down the east coast singing sinatra tunes he actually gets paid to do it so i think i was supposed to be a crooner scott thornhill i think that's what i was supposed to be i think i was also supposed to be a game show host so you know what (laughs) at 44 years old man i'm just getting warmed up there's a lot more to do so i might sing today all right so listen the show is philanthropy and focus if you've been with us for 80 some odd episodes you know what i'm about you know i'm the nonprofit sector connector you know every single week every single friday morning i'm going to bring you another leader of a very important nonprofit organization to do several things to chat to catch up to connect but really learn about this individual leader learn about the organization learn about the programs that the organization provides and then how can we help How can we be part of the solution? How can we be part of the impact that that organization is making? And we do that inside of a nice 60-minute window. Um, We do take a couple breaks. Uh, If you're checking us out, you can check us out on Facebook, Philanthropy in Focus on Facebook. And Focus is P-H-O-C-U-S. If you're not checking us out there and you're just listening, that's how you can check us out there. Or obviously, we're always streaming live on the audio at talkradio.nyc. With me today is Scott Thornhill. Scott, Scott, first let before we do the introduction and the bio, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, my friend. I'm doing well. I, I think you should be a crooning game show host. <laughs> wow, that would be a it would be like yeah. name tune or name this croon. I think it was just that's what it is. <laughs> I just sing and then Oh man. God, that mm. would be either a, an absolute train wreck or you know, it would be the next American Idol. That's one right. One of the two. One of the two. One of the two. That's look at that. We're we're just creating here. We're manifesting right here. That's right. Tommy in the attic. So Scott Thornhill is the director of public policy for Alpha Point, which is an organization I have been aware of for a number of years um, because they have a location out in Queens, and I do a lot of work, as many of you know, with the Queens Chamber of Commerce. My friends Brendan Levy and Tom Gretsch. Uh, in fact, Brendan is the the uh, the actually last night on uh, PBS. Scott was right. concert for George. Okay, George Harrison, you know, after yeah. George passed away, they did a concert. It was pretty cool. I was watching, I texted my old man. I said, put on Channel 13. It's pretty cool. My father loves when I call him my old man. He hates it, actually. But I texted him and I said, Dad, check out this. So I bring this up because Brendan Levy and I wrote the lyrics and the words, the lyrics and the, he wrote the music. We shared the lyrics on my theme song, which you haven't heard the lyrics part. You'll hear it at the break. But it was like a Lennon and McCartney kind of thing. So it yeah. wasn't. Brendan, I might not have a theme song, but Brendan and Tom, I know you know these guys well, and uh, they're always on the advocacy side. And oh, yeah. Right? Especially when it comes to our nonprofits, you know? They're good folks. They are. They are. Maybe we'll talk about them a little bit. But, you know, Scott and Alpha Point, we're going to get into the organization. It's an organization that provides empowerment, employment, and growth and development for people who are visually impaired or blind. And just to get up on my soapbox for a second, because why not? It's here in the attic. Let me step up on the soapbox. Okay, there it is. Here's the deal about this. I'm really, I've been connected with organizations who do a lot of work in the intellectually and developmentally disabled space. I've been connected to that world since, you know, I have a cousin, Linda, who passed away about 
10 years ago in the past, but Linda had special needs. And we, my aunt, my cousins founded the Lindy Lou Foundation, which I am on the board there and I do some of the development work, some of the outreach work. Really what I get to do, Scott, is I get to go out and hand out the big checks, which is always oh, nice. Nice. kind of the best part of, of everything. And I noticed this, I don't know about your life, but I noticed when I call somebody up and I tell them I have a check, they become my friend. Oh, yeah. They're like, it's yeah. a very good way to make friends. And I like to make right. friends. But I'll try to go back to what I was saying there. I mean, in reading about the organization again this morning, it reminded me a lot of uh, Henry Viscardi's story uh, and, you know, the Viscardi Center, which is here on Long Island, and John Kemp, who's been on my show. But I just think there are certain folks who have always been on there on the advocacy side saying, enough about what you cannot do. Let's figure out what you can do. Let's accentuate what you're good at. And I don't mean this, what I'm about to say, you might get a chuckle, people might chuckle out of it, but I don't really mean it that way. But there's a lot of things I suck at and don't have the ability to do. You might all who are listening might say singing is one of those things, but we're, <laughs> we're going to fix that. But but there's a lot that I cannot do just from a difference of abilities. Um, right. Where I'm going, Scott, as it's probably obvious, is when we can accentuate what people are good at and and give them the opportunity. I mean, two of the people who were very influential in the beginning of this organization over a hundred years ago are uh, Eugene Condi and um, Hayes Brooks, who were chiropractors and attorneys, leaders, business owners who happened to be blind. It wasn't stated that these are men who are blind, who are unable to do things. So I, I maybe we could start, let's start the conversation there and, because I think we set it up there where we can just talk through some of that. And I want to hear about you, your background in real estate, sure. how you came to Alpha Point, And then obviously, as we talked about earlier, the programs and things like that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I can jump right in if you'd, if you'd like on that part. And, just, you know, I, I agree with you about the abilities part and what um, we all want the same things, essentially, uh, with some nuanced differences, right? Depending on where you live and maybe how you grew up or whatever. But but as human beings, we all sort of want the same general things. We want to live a good life. We may want to um, family-wise, you know, raise children or whatever it might be, or um, traveling. Um, we all sort of had the same desires. You want to live a good life. You want to be healthy. You want to do these things. And so someone who's blind is, is no different in that. And I can tell you some, some funny stories about how people who are blind are no different than people who are sighted. We would try to try to do some of the same things, but it's um, in working with different boards and things throughout the years, you know, there's, there's a couple of different ways, whether it's an organization or it's an individual, there's, there's a couple of different ways to sort of view how you're going to move forward. One is you look at your strengths and weaknesses and you say, okay, how am I going to make, you know, make my weaknesses go away? Or how am I going to improve my weaknesses, right? I'm going to get better at the things I'm not good at. Or you say, I'm going to look at my strengths. How do I capitalize on those and not spend a lot of time concerned about my weaknesses? Uh, and so really in, in the field that, that we're in, in terms of working with people who are blind, as I am, um, it's, it's really capitalizing on the strengths. And then you shore up the weaknesses where you have to, to make sure that someone is safe and, and those kinds of things. But um, you really do want to look at the abilities and then how you use those capabilities or that aptitude to then move someone forward, whether it be living on their own at home or it's working a job or it's uh, transportation, whatever it might be. That's, that's kind of the approach. I think that's so right on. And I did a video leading up to this show. I always do a video actually right after the program, I shoot a video for the next week's program to yeah. uh, 
teaser. And that's sort of what I, I started to tell the story. And I watched that video again last night. I started to tell the story about, I used to work for ADP, the, the large payroll operation I used to, uh, out of Bayside, Queens. It's in fact, how I met my business partners some 18, 19 years ago. Um, and I remember they would say, all right, so here's what you guys can do. You have a, a book of clients. You have uh, some banks in your community, in your territory. You have some CPAs and you should prospect. And if you're not good at one of those four things, well, then you should do more of that so you get better at it. And I remember, this isn't long ago. This is 17, 18 years ago, man. And I was, although it feels long ago, but in history, it ain't that long ago. Yeah. And I think as a society, and I said this in that video too, and and to your point exactly, capitalize on those strengths. I say accentuate. I say just go after it. Because to me, the other part, I I don't mean if, if, unless you have the desire to get better at something, like you want to improve something like but to the, if we get caught up on those weaknesses, man, what are we leaving on the table? We only can focus on so much at any given point, right? So, so that's the thing. So talk to me about that too. Well, I think we've all known someone who was in a job that didn't fit them or yeah. they didn't fit the job, right? But they uh, were in that job for one reason or another. Either, either they went after the job, thought it's what they wanted, or someone else maybe in the organization, move them into a particular job and their skill set and everything else. So then it's the prime example, sort of how do you, what do you do? If you're evaluating how the person is doing the job, right, then you're going to go, wow, they're not really, they're not doing very well at this job. So where do we need to improve? How do they need to get better? What do we need to change? Or you say, wait a minute, the person is really good at these other three things. Why don't, why don't we sort of adapt the job or find a position for them where they can capitalize on those things? So uh, for me, so being blind, and, and I think people with disabilities across the board, really, in a lot of ways, Tommy, it's, um, and I did it too. That's how I know it's true. That rhymes and didn't mean for that to happen. But um, when I was younger and had sight, so just to, to kind of set the, the scene a little bit, I was diagnosed at the age of eight with retinitis pigmentosa, RP for short, but thankfully they do that for all of us, right? Shorten it to RP. So my mother and I were driving on a, on a, on a road and there was a truck in front of us. And she asked me to read the word on the back of the truck. And I couldn't read the word on the truck. And, and I knew she was worried looking back on it. I know she must've been worried. Um, it was a lettuce truck and it had the word lettuce written across the back of the cab, you know, in a, uh, an area for them to, to hold lettuce. Um, to this day, I don't feel the same about salads. Tom, <laughs> about it. I wish it had said chicken wings or pizza or something Then I probably, things may have been a lot different for me, but, um, so I immediately went into, you know, going to see eye doctors and, and, uh, specialists and all of that. And so, um, but I was living with a secret, right. That I had this vision impairment and it would only show up periodically to other people. Maybe when I was in the dark at you know, night, night blindness or whatever. Well, then as I got older at 15, they told me I'd be blind by 40. Um, I, I try to overachieve. So I hit that around 36. Um, but way to go overachiever. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Strive for that. But, but really, and I was, I've mentioned this to you previously that there, you know, there's a legal definition of blindness, which is different than a lot of disabilities. It's, it's codified in law, what, what blindness is. And so that's why you hear the term legally blind. The person is legally blind. Well, you're either blind or you're not because it's a, it's the way the definition works, but there are degrees of vision that you can still have and, and be, can, and be blind by definition. So, um, I went through thinking a person who's blind can't do anything. 
I don't want to be that person. And it was this impending doom. Oh, so that's your, that was your youth was, was that you oh, were, it was fear. I was telling you fear. It's all yeah. going to oh, yeah. do anything at a point in my life. Yeah. Wow. I had a death sentence in my opinion. Yeah. Right. I, I knew it was coming. It was a train rolling down the track that I could not stop. Um, and I had no control at all over it. And so with that in mind, right, I tried to hide it. I pretended like it didn't exist. I, I would, um, I mean, just to be frank, I would lie if I had to, because my pride and my own protection, that's how desperate um, it would get. And so I would make up all kinds of reasons, right, not to tell someone. And, and looking back on it, it's easy to shake my head and say, oh, man, that was foolish. You know, you let pride get in the way. Just why in the world would you do that? It wasn't anything I did, right? It was a genetic thing. And, um, and so because of that, the way I looked at this, right, I it was feared and, and I tried to run away from it. And I did not want to embrace what was going to be happening to me. And so if I had done that, let's go to the if down the if road, if I had done that, right, I, I may have gotten my skills sooner. I may have been better prepared. I may, may have done things to set my, uh, myself up to live as a blind individual. Um, but instead what I did was pretend like it wasn't happening, try to hide from it, um, all of that. So that when I ultimately didn't have any more options to pretend, um, I wasn't prepared. Wow. And that's part of my message to people is, um, it's not, it's, it's just something that's, that's happening in your life. And yes, there are some, you know, blindness where the person has done something to, to cause there are causes of blindness that aren't just sort of random and then people have accidents you know i know there's people that work with us who were injured in the military um uh, disabled veterans so anyway we can talk more about that as we as we move down the road but that's how i was looking at this yeah we're gonna take a sneak we'll go out to a quick break in a second here but I, that is such a a really poignant story too scott as i hear you tell it I, because it, it it's your story but it's so many other people's story whether they have rp or something else or or just as we you know as we age and we realize like we may maybe it, we're all you know if you stick around long enough you're going to be old that's kind of how it works <laughs> so my mom used to say right she's like you live long enough you'll get there too anytime we made fun of a of an age or a birthday or something yeah, so you're right exactly i mean look jim morrison did tell us no one gets out of here alive but you can you can stay for a long time if you if, right. if you do things right and you get the genes right but right. i think even that is a is a telling story to to kind of be prepared and and evolve in some regard you know and and you know you look back and now you tell that story and that story can influence other people to maybe do it differently. Do you do a lot? Well, I'll ask you real quick, just a yes or no, and yeah. then we'll go to break. But do you also do work with that RP community? Like, is that because I think that story, if it is a, it, if it's a, how would I say that? If it's an ev- evolving disease for someone, they can yeah. maybe prepare better. I engage on on. I will say, I engage on social media with groups that are the retinitis pigmentosa uh, groups, and I cannot tell you, Tommy, it breaks my heart still every day when I hear a parent say, "My child just got diagnosed with RP. Please help me. What do I do?" Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it's it's tough, but but I guess the thing is, where what do you do? Well, I think you share. I share my story, right? I share with them. Here's yeah. what here's what I think helps someone who's lived through this. Here's and here's what you don't do. Don't coddle. Don't uh, don't try to keep them away from things. Cause how much, and again, how many more skills could they have learned to deal with this? It's a preparation thing, right? If you know, yeah, it's coming, but it doesn't have to be an impending doom. It could be a situation where we're ready for it. We're going to stop. Right. We'll- 
quick break. Scott Thornhill is here with me this morning, Director of Public Policy for Alpha Point. We're going to get into Alpha Point shortly. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Scott and Tommy in the attic. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. And we are back. Yeah, that is the aforementioned Brendan Levy there singing the the uh, soundtrack to this year's show, Philanthropy in Focus. So, so maybe so that's Brendan singing? It's Brendan singing as well, yeah. He's you might not know this. He has a band, um, and they he's they had a record deal, like they were like popular back in like the nineties, and the name of the group was The Goods. And as they are now older men, they now call themselves damaged goods. Wow. <laughs> and I will tell you, Scott, when you're up here in New York, we'll go out yeah. when, you know, if we can link up when he's playing, because they do shows maybe once a month or something like that. And they can rock. They're really fun. Yeah, my, my friend, I like them out. yeah they're, they're a good time. Um, so, all right. So this organization I'm reading right, right off of the notes, 400 employees, more than half of whom who are blind and other reading, I, I found 250 of the 400 employees of Alpha Point are blind or visually impaired, uh, founded in 1911. They, they have business divisions such as online office supply, retailing, plastic injection, molding, manufacturing. I know there was janitorial products that were being made. There was, um, Oh, God, why can't I think of when somebody gets hurt in the military? Tourniquets. Tourniquets. Thank you. Tourniquets. <laughs> um, thank you for that call center. I mean, on and on and on. Again, leveraging what people's abilities are, not only their abilities, but also their interests. It's not like, well, we got this one size thing, and if you want a job, here's what it is. No, you'll work even with these folks in their different abilities. It's not just catch all. Okay, so you are you don't have sight. You have to do this job, right? There's right. This, 
plenty of opportunities. So before we even get into that, let's tell, tell me about your business background and then when Alpha Point gets into your kind of yeah. your, it gets in your path and, and how you end up together. So um, I, as I was talking about before, sort of the, my journey um, with blindness, as I got into my mid to late twenties, you know, I uh, was married and um, still am, uh, <laughs> but we got married and, you know, life's kind of moving on and you're figuring out and figuring out jobs. And I graduated from college. So I was figuring out jobs and bounced around a bit. And, um, but I was losing my vision. It was, it was obvious that it was getting worse and I was trying to figure out how to, how to do things. Um, in March of 07, um, I woke up one morning, Tommy, and my left eye, the vision that was remaining in my left eye had, had gone pretty much overnight. Um, I, as I tell people, it felt like I had peanut butter spread across my eye. Now I can't tell you, I've never had peanut butter spread across my eye that I know of. So I, I can't, but it's just like, that's what it seemed like it would be like, just that really deep sort just of like a, a fog. Book. Fog, okay, yeah. uh, thick, you know, sort of, and so I thought, you know, oh, maybe I've got an infection or something. Well, you know, I go to the doctor. He says, no, nope, just the progression of the disease. I'll see you next year. You know, that was the the bedside manner that was so comforting. Yeah. But, but, um, so, at, at, you know, at that time, we our son had been born in two thousand two, so he was five years old. My wife and I were running our real estate brokerage, which she still runs. Um, and we were, we ran that together for 13, 14 years. And then she's been running it by herself the last four years um, that I've been with Alpha Point. But, um, our five-year-old son was reading real estate contracts, Tommy, um, which helped his vocabulary and his reading ability quite a bit, but it really wasn't a great plan moving well, forward. Hold on. I have to, I have to call a timeout because I, I, I'm at a point in my life when I'm not sure I clear on what's going on. I just got to throw a flag. Sure. sure. So I, was he reading them because you did not have the ability and he was, he was, he was reading the contracts for you. Somebody would send something in. And so yeah. on my, com- on my computer, I could use reverse, um, uh, high contrast. So I'd have a black background with white or yellow writing, right? Okay. That's a technique that we use with people with vision impairments to help read computers. Uh, I could enlarge things a little bit, but um, the the reverse type was really what I did to to help me during yep. those years. But after this happened in March of 07, um, and I lost the remaining vision in my left eye, and all I had back left was the partial in my right eye. Like I, I was, it was a tough tough time in my life. Um, I was very frustrated. I got to October of that year and I was just sort of felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall. Like, why is this happening to me? Now I knew it was going to happen, right? I'd already been told it was going to happen, but now I'm in the middle of the, of the worst of it. I was used to having sort of not great vision, but at least they were the same in both eyes and I could function and do what I needed to do. Use the reverse type or use some of these tools. Well, now I'm at a point where I can't read, uh, you know, I've got this contract in front of me on paper, I hadn't been able to do that for years, you know, probably two years, three years at that point. And so my son, I still had to have something. And my wife, if she wasn't around, I'd ask my son, hey, I need you to read this. But he's only five. I, I'm thinking of my, because I'm thinking of my seven-year-old who yeah. is, you yeah. know, reading like he loves to read, but he's reading, yeah. you know, Dog Man and Captain Underpants. Oh, and, yeah. No, you know, no. That game and he's reading on the couch next to me, but this is not real estate contract. No, no. Where, wherewithal, heretofore, I say he's the only five-year-old that used wherewithal and heretofores and thereupons. And, but, um, he would, and because, and he, I mean, it's not, I, hey, he didn't like it. No, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he enjoyed <laughs> it, but, uh, but I said, Hey, you know, Will, I need you to read it, you know? And so, but 
in October of that year, I really had a crossroad. I, I just was so frustrated and just was, was angry. And in August, I had gone to visit a friend of mine uh, in another state. So I flew um, and my wife had been asking me to get a cane. You know, she's like, you really need to get a cane. You really need to get a cane. And, and, and I said, I'm not, you know, I don't need a cane. And then finally, we're on our way to the airport and I could tell she was a little frustrated with me or not happy with me. And I said, what's wrong? She said, well, you never called about that cane, did you? And I said, well, of course I did. I knew how important it was to you. And she said, well, when did you call? And I said, about half an hour ago, because I knew there was no chance they could get me a cane before I went on this flight. And I was embarrassed. Look, again, looking back on it, it was foolish, but I saw the cane as the scarlet letter for those who remember the scarlet letter, right? I I saw this as the sign that something was wrong with me as the sign to everyone around me that I, I was less than. And so I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want, I mean, a symbol that like, and, yeah. and finally, she said, look, she said, if you don't, you know, if you don't care about yourself, at least care about the people around you who don't know you can't see them. Right. Yeah. Right? And I'm a and I'm a big guy, Tommy. You, yeah, I know. I, we've met. We and have so, no warning then. There's sort of they oh, don't yeah. that this yeah. guy coming down the, down the yeah. lane can't see me. And I played, you know, I played football in college and all that. And so I was, you know, and so, and so, um, yeah, I not believe me. I, I, I decked a few folks through the years. Oh. I'm not proud of it, but, you know, I took a few people out. Um Thankfully, I don't think anyone was hurt you know, badly. But um, so that was a, a very difficult time for me in terms of, of what that was, was looking like. And so I had to make a 180 degree turn just to be blunt about it because I stayed home a lot, didn't want to go out for a period of time. And finally, she told me, she's like, you know, you just can't live like this. You've got to figure some things out because I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Uh, I, I get energy from being around people. And so I had to figure it out, you know, got the cane, got some training. Those skills are crucial. Uh, got, got a screen reader called JAWS, Job Access with Speech, uh, which is what I still use um, today, different version, but same, same program. It uh, reads everything on my computer to me. So that's when my world started to change, was when I embraced what was going on, and, and I couldn't control it, but I could control my reaction to it. We've all heard that probably a thousand times. Couldn't control what was happening, but I could control my reaction to it. So getting the skills. I had to do a 180 degree turn where I was willing to be out with a cane navigating by myself. You know, I couldn't tell that people were staring at me. That's the good part about not, you know, my son could tell and it really bothered him and he would just stare back and he's, he was, you know, he's a big guy too. And um, I said, look, just don't, you know, just let it roll off you because it's just because people aren't used to being around someone who's blind. So we worked through that. And um, then I started um, doing some public speaking uh, in our real estate uh there aren't a lot of blind real estate brokers, um, Tommy. So um, blind people who want to buy homes, though, too. So isn't there that, are right? So doesn't that build rapport? Not to say it, they're in that business anymore, but yeah. it's some, some level of connection, right? It, it does, and of course, it's you know it, it would be a niche situation, and we did have that opportunity a few times. But what I had done before that was I memorized everything, right? So that when I sat down with a client, I didn't have to read what was in front of me. I already had it memorized, and I would just spout it out to them. Um, but we got to the point where. Um, I was, I was, uh, we all enjoy a good inspirational story. Um, you know, we hear them a lot of times during prom season or something, and it, and it's, it can be a little offensive at times, but it's sort of the, the, you know, disabled young lady is asked out by the star football player. What, you know, we all sort of enjoy these stories and isn't that heartwarming and all of that. So I, I went through a period where it was that sort of motivational, right? It's this, this blind real estate broker. I spoke at the national convention for our real, for our real estate brokerage uh, or for the company that we were affiliated with. Um, did some speaking engagements, quite a few actually, you know, different places around and did some training for other real estate agents. And it was amazing that the blind real estate broker could do the training. 
and and I was I'm proud of that those right. things, Tommy. I'm not I'm not belittling them, but but it wasn't ultimately sort of how I was going to move forward. It was more about this um, um, just sort of inspirational, motivational, but but for me, long term, I didn't necessarily want to. Was it like a novel thing for? Yeah, it was sort of like wow, and you know, we're so amazed. And 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 again, I'm I'm thankful for those opportunities and what I learned during that time. But I had to learn how to live with blindness and not just sort of the um, oh, you can memorize these things. Um, it's hard to do that as you get older and and things change. So the skill development became crucial. But I had someone during that process, and this is where I I, I really think a lot of times um, things are. Uh, fall into place outside of our knowledge of them falling into place around us. Um, I was at an, at, speaking to a local group and they asked me if I'd be willing to serve on a board. Um, and I said, I would think about it because I was on a couple of other boards. And so I ended up serving on, on a board of an organization that worked with people who were blind. And, um, and so here I am a board member of this place, right? The only blind board member of an organization focused on helping people who are blind. Um, and so I got to know the employees, I got to know the other board members, I got to know the leadership, and the leadership of that organization encouraged me saying, hey, you could really make a difference for other people who were blind, who didn't have the foundation, didn't have the family support, didn't have, see, because Tommy, that's a lot of this, is I was blessed with a family that was supportive, education system where I was able to get what I needed, those kinds of things growing up, um, sit closer to the board or get someone to help you take notes. But see, I tried to avoid any recognition. I'd sit closer to the board, but I didn't want anybody helping me because then everybody else around me would know something was wrong. But as I realized that other people didn't have those same advantages, I started to feel like I want to change something. I want to help level the playing field. I want to get involved on a different level. And I ended up um, getting involved with the national industries for the blind and, and meeting people at conferences and um, as time went by and I realized that's the direction I want to go. Um, I was, I was thankful to have some conversations with the folks from alpha point and was offered an opportunity to, um, to come on board with alpha point. All right. So uh, let's, let's, yeah. pause, let's pause right there. Cause I love yeah. what we're, so we're taking a quick yeah. break. We'll be right back in a sec, but the thing there is, you know, uh, you find what the impact you're supposed to make you found the change you're supposed to make and then you find the organization and we'll find out the rest of the story <laughs> when we come back Paul Harvey, thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back are you passionate about the conversation around racism hi i'm reverend dr tlc host of the dismantle racism show which airs every thursday at 11 a.m eastern on talkradio.nyc Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19-related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D., the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. And we're back. So the mission of this organization is empowering people with vision loss to achieve their goals and aspirations. The vision of the organization is a world where everyone with vision loss rises to their desired full potential. And it's, you know, I think that's really where we were in the conversation, Scott. You know, you you now at that point realized what your mission is or what what the work you're supposed to be doing is, right? That's right. And, and I, and I, just like a lot of people, I, I started to write a book and I've still, I'm still working on it years and years, years later. But, and that was really the message that I was feeling and, and the sentiment that is if we all sort of did that on a certain level, instead of hiding the things that have gone wrong or the bad decisions we've made or whatever, if we can get to that point where we can help others who are struggling with the same thing, then you know what a different world it would be. Uh, in a lot of ways, but we're so pride and other things affect it's just human nature, but I did, I, I was able then to uh, be in a situation where um, I was able to advocate on behalf of other people who were blind. Now, listen, if you had told me that that's what I would be doing uh, yeah. when I was in my mid twenties or you know, late twenties, when I wouldn't leave the house because I was missing handshakes and tripping over curbs that, you know, and, and when I was told about, Hey, there's this place you can go to, you know, where blind people, I was like, man, that's so great that blind people have a place to go. It's so nice that they have a, you know, a place that they can hang out. But I pictured someone who was blind as someone who had their hand out or someone who couldn't do anything and everybody else had to help them. And so for me then to be in a position where I myself as a blind individual was advocating on behalf of what blind people can do was you know, talk 180 degrees. That's what it was. And so in the work that I do now, it's, it's, there's a lot of aspects to it, but it's, it's looking at where, you know, where is legislation on a federal level, state level, even local level? uh, What can we do to help open up more opportunities right now, Tommy, about 70, 70, about 70% of people who are blind are not working. 70%. 70%. How much of that is involved, if at all? Because I think of this in terms of comparison to the individuals with special needs or IDD. How much of that is related to benefits from your perspective? Meaning I I can't go get a job because I'll lose my benefits, you know, or the alternative that people just aren't giving the opportunities. There's there's percentages uh, across the board. A a certain percentage of that 70% – Frankly, people probably don't want to work. You know, there's no, it's, it's, I don't, don't feel like they have to, right? Their benefits are enough that they can kind of get by, um, maybe living with family, whatever it might be. And, and then there, um, there is a group where there are the external factors like transportation. Yeah. yeah you know, sure. it's depending on where they live. Um, New York City, 
different story than you know some of the maybe a more rural area, whatever it is. Yeah. So so that's why you end up having actually a number of people who are visually impaired or blind who do want to work and be involved. You do move to larger cities and there's public transportation and, and all those sorts of things. But I mean, we could talk about that all day as well, right? Accessibility of sure. <laughs> MTA accessibility and all those, that, that's a whole nother discussion. And that is part of the, the work that I do also is, is sort of partnering and, and where those things pop up and, and Alpha Point um, being an advocate on behalf of our employees, but also on behalf of just the larger blind, visually impaired population. But it, there are a number of factors involved and it's something, frankly, that we struggle with sometimes sort of is... Um, locating individuals and and once people have gotten so demoralized about what they think is possible or available or they've been told so many times you can't do that um, or don't even try to do that or why are you trying to do something like that they quit trying to do that or anything like that which would be working or doing things on their own Um, and we hear these stories all the time from people who come to us for services or people who come to us for a job um, about how they, you know, they had been working somewhere and it didn't work out. The employer didn't understand, or, um, they didn't have the skills that they needed. So for example, um, in our Richmond Hill Queens facility, we have an activities of daily living apartment, a simulated apartment. So, um, what that is, there's a kitchen essentially there, um, that we can work with clients on how do you prepare a meal for yourself? Um, because, we talk about employment, right? That's the goal of like the federal government and a lot of state governments is vocational outcomes. They want that individual to have a job. That's the goal. But number one, not everybody is, is, is going to work. But number two, to hold down a job, and I think we all know this, but we take it for granted, to hold down a job, you got to be able to feed yourself. You got to be able to take care of hygiene. You got to be able to take care of your clothing. I mean, the basic things of life that we do take for granted. But for someone who's who's blind, who may be living on their own, um, and maybe they stayed with their family until they were older, you know, there's all different kinds of scenarios. But we we work with the foundational sort of building blocks that then help that individual be successful in a job. As I like to say, you know, we meet people where they are, and they and they help them. We we help them get where they want to go. Um, so we, we meet them where they are, and that can be any different kind of place. They may have just left a job because they were losing their vision and they didn't know what to do and they're scared. So maybe we're helping them get back to their old job or get back in the same field they were working in, but just now with assistive technology and some some orientation and mobility, which is using your cane and getting around or a guide dog in certain cases. Um, so we, we do that. And then we, we have people that come to us who have never worked. Maybe they're in their mid thirties and they've never had a job. Wow. So the statistics tell us, Tommy, that, that someone who's blind, a blind teenager has their first job or opportunity two to three years later than the sighted teenager. Um, the, the, the blind college graduate usually doesn't hit really what would be considered an entry-level job with opportunity, upward mobility till they're 25, whereas a person who's sighted is about 23. Um, and so institutionally sort of along the spectrum or along the, the continuum of, of our lives, people who are blind, um, are, are behind people with disabilities in general are behind. So you keep moving that and and you say, okay, department of labor tells us that people with disabilities at every education level are employed at a lower percentage than non-disabled people at the same education level. So back to your question, is that about benefits? So um, certainly people have to manage the benefits because depending on the type of job the person has, right, the pay may not be enough that it offsets 
the benefits and now you're making too much money, you're going to lose your benefits, right? So you have to make a decision. You're, not make, you're making too much to lo- and you lose the benefits, but not enough that it's like right. enough right. advancement for because you lost. Yes. Right? Yeah. So when we talk about policy on a federal level, we're talking about what we call the earnings cliff or the cash cliff with SSDI through Social Security Disability. So instead of sort of having just a, a cutoff point or even a, a very short transitional period, let's make that transitional period a little bit longer. Let the person sort of get acclimated to this, this new budget or this new you know, income level or whatever it is. Because certainly people who are blind, Tommy, sometimes literally will turn down a promotion in their job because it's going to negatively affect them financially. See, if they so lose their no policymakers, let's like, listen up. If you're like, this is yeah. the this is a lot, a lot of what your work is, right? It is. It's part, it's part of it. It's part of it. And it's like silly yeah. though. That's a silly situation. Like how they're improving their situation. And now we're going it, to, it's, we're going to punish them and take away this thing. That was a lifeline for lack of a better word, but something that supported them structurally. And you take that away and, I, I, I'm going to be quiet and listen to you because you know what. Well, well no, I just you're right, and uh, but it is a tough one because nobody seems to really have a the solution, and so it gets talked about, but it never really gets addressed in the way that we would you know, that we really think it should be. I um, mean, that's just one of the factors, right? There's there's the transportation the yep. aspect that I mentioned. Um, there's that education piece where it can be more challenging for someone who is disabled, you know, blind to. Uh, to get education in the same way or in the same time frame, um, and then you get to employers, and the employers. I, I tell people often that we've done a really good job of making people feel guilty, like they feel like they should hire people with disabilities. And don't get me wrong, there are some employers who are doing an excellent job um, of of really um, actively recruiting. And because what they have found is what we know is that people with disabilities who have earned a job are often your most loyal employees. Yeah. Um, we found during COVID Tommy, when you know we were deemed an essential organization and an essential business during COVID because of our work with the federal government, department of defense and others. And so we had to separate, you know, move our production lines apart, which is challenging. You know, you get into a production line or so we do manufacturing, we have call centers, we have all these things, but yeah. you know, we had the hand sanitizers everywhere and the masks and all these things. But what we were having to do was um, continue to operate. And we found that our blind employees were coming to work at a higher percentage than our sighted employees. Hmm. Um, and even what, with extended commutes. Yeah, with, sorry, I cut off the commutes piece there, but so yeah. they even more challenged to get there and they were showing what, what do you think the psychology is there? I think the psychology is, is what I say is once you've earned that opportunity, you're not going to let it go easy, right? right. You're not going to let that go because Another statistic, just to throw another one at you uh, for the fun of it, because we just love statistics, is um, about 85% of people with a disability who lose their job do not get another one, Ugh. 85%. So, and part of that can be, right, that they, um, that, that disabilities happen when people are older, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the individual is closer to retirement, they just decide, yeah. that, that's a part of it. Yeah. But it's also because once you've been in a job and you get acclimated to it and the people know you and they know your abilities, but let's say the business has a downturn and you lose your job due to no fault of your own or whatever. Well, now you're going to go through that entire process again and, and, and yourself all over oh, again, prove yourself all over again. Yeah. Um, and if you're, and look, it's just like in the, in the non-disabled or able-bodied community, whatever you want to call it, people, not everybody's a CEO, right? Yeah. Not everybody's a manager. I mean, it's, it's the same way in the disabled community. So we meet people again, where they are, 
and if that is with very, very little skill, um, and maybe it's an aptitude issue and maybe they do need to go back to school and we, and, and, you know, vocational rehabilitation agencies in the States can help with that. Um, we can help young people that are transitioning to a job or transitioning into college. Um, so it, it's really trying to support at these, um, bottleneck points that we find, which is we work with teenagers, uh, to help them get that first work experience, um, through a program that we have. Then we work with those that are going to go to college with that first semester of college, um, getting connected with the disability resource office on campus, wherever that might be. Um, and then we work with people then that are coming out of college or that never went to college, but now they're looking for a job, right? Mm -hmm. We have entry level type jobs that don't require a, a, a whole lot of skill, but that person can learn and grow. And then we have higher level jobs, for example, our 508 compliance, which is uh, digital accessibility. If you've heard that recently talked about, mm. that's helping companies and government entities and all that make sure that their websites and their programs are accessible to people with disabilities. And so that's become a, a, a great part of something that we can do for people who have you know, higher level skills as well. Yeah, I, I want to, you know, there's a, there's a whole program at the Biscardi School, the Biscardi Center out here in Long Island around digital, digital accessibility. Yes. Do you know the folks over there already? I do. I, um, I've, I've spoken to um, uh, a, a very nice woman there who, who um, through the chamber, as a matter yeah. of fact, on the public policy, I mean, public policy, the, the nonprofit committee. Um, and so, yes, we had a great conversation about digital accessibility and, and what they're doing there. And, and we're doing similar work and, and we were actually uh, getting connected to, to see what more we can do. Awesome. All right. Well, that's good. When you're up here, maybe we'll go out and visit them because they're uh, a great relationship with them. You're planning a busy, busy time for me. Yeah, man. Listen, you know what? Again, only if there's value in it. I don't want to just take you on a tour. Oh, yeah, there's man. Value in it, man. I, we could just sit around and, and eat those chicken wings you were talking That'd about. That'd be fun hanging out with you because, I mean, everybody knows you. So I it's fun. Be, there's a few people that I know. I think there's a couple more I don't know yet, so I'm hoping to meet more. All, All right. right. So what we're going to do, first of all, this is a great conversation. I, I hope it's good, good for you too, Scott, because um, I think we're getting a lot of knowledge. When we come back, uh, it'll be our final session together and when we finish. I just want to, I don't want to leave anything, or I do want to leave everything out on the field. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't leave any stone unturned. So we come back, tell me about things that are coming up for the organization, okay. if legislation, if you, even if you need us to reach out to uh, our, our legislators for calls and different things to, to support what's going on. If there's an event coming up, a fundraising event, whatever you want to let us yeah. know about Alpha Point, we come back. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. We'll be right back. This is Philanthropy in Focus. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble 
On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You know, Scott, there was just that commercial for this other show we do here called Professionals and Animal Lovers Show. It was just the commercial we just listened to. And it just made me think I had a meeting with a, a woman yesterday who founded an organization called Pets for Patriots. And there's so much that goes on, you know, with support animals and therapy animals. We didn't have a chance to really get into it today. But um, a lot of benefits in those relationships, right? Oh, yes, certainly. And, um, you, you know, it, it's... Um... There's been a lot of talk about you know, support animals recently in different ways with transportation, you know, airlines and all those kinds of things. But, but um, you know, a number of blind in- individuals have have guide dogs, um, yeah. and um, it is a commitment on both uh, both sides of that relationship. But I know some I know some folks who, boy, that that has just opened up a whole opens up a whole new world to them in terms of it's incredible. Around. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to watch this, uh, to see that, the, you know, and again, you talk about a relationship because there's so much trust that has to be in that type of relationship, right? Oh, there, there really does. And it's, um, I've never had a, um, a guide dog. I, you know, occasionally, you know, people, we have a Labradoodle uh, yeah. and she, um, um, I, I would not, she's sweet as can be, love her to die. I would never trust her to guide anywhere. <laughs> she's not been trained to do that. Love that. All right, let's let's get into Alpha Point. Where, what do you? What's going on? What's upcoming? Yeah. What can we be aware of? What? How can we help? So, number one, I would say um, anyone who you know who is struggling with vision loss, right? And and most of us, this is this is an interesting, I think, distinction to me. Most of us know someone who has what we would say are vision issues or, or vision difficulties. Um, it could be an, an older, it could be a parent, um, who's got macular degeneration or someone who's having, a, and, and oftentimes I will tell you whether we realize it or not, the, those individuals are going through some, probably not to the extent, but, but could be going through some of the things that I mentioned earlier, Tommy, yeah. um, they're struggling. They can't read their prescription bottle. They can't read something else. They're having to ask their spouse or they're having to do you know, and then there could be someone younger who um, has, you know, something happens and they have a, um, they have an injury to their eye. We've, we've got an employee who um, in our Kansas City facility who was, who was stabbed uh, and lost vision in his eye, um, both. Eyes. And so anyway, I, so what my first thing I would say is anyone who you know, who you think may be struggling with this and doesn't know what to do, because oftentimes the doctors don't really get into that area or they don't think about it they treat the what's in front of them, right? They treat the medical condition, but they're not treating the whole person, so to speak. And so um, I would say, refer them to alpha point, send them, you know, you yourself go to alpha point.org and um, you, you know, can, can get the information there. It's probably the best way to do it, or certainly can, can call our facility in Richmond Hill. Um, now and, you and I know each other through Queens here yeah. in 
city. However, this is a national, their service is nationally, right? So, so we are, our headquarters is in Kansas City, Missouri, and, and we, um, we're right, we didn't spend a lot of time on this, but about eight years ago, Alpha Point acquired what used to be known as New York City Industries for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And it was because there were just some challenges there in the organization and, and needed some bolstering. And so um, Alpha Point was asked, uh, was anyway, acquired New York City Industries for the Blind to make sure that people kept their jobs and there would still be opportunities. Um, and then just um, not, not long after that, um, we moved from our former location in Borough Park in Brooklyn to, uh, to Queens. So we have a a large facility on 123rd Street off Jamaica Avenue in, in Richmond Hill. Um, and everybody who wanted to keep their job and, and work did. Um, it was kind of funny, actually. Some people had a, a shorter commute time uh, in our Queens, even though they lived in Brooklyn. It was it took less time for them to get to our Queens location than it did our Brooklyn location. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so, so there's a lot of um, uh, connection that people can have with family members, friends, who, who may be struggling. I, I often have someone come up to me or call me or something. They say, Hey, this buddy of mine has been having some trouble. What can he do? Right? Well, I'm not the expert on the, the sort of the low vision piece or that. So I will refer them to our, to our people who are the experts on that and get them, you know, they'll get in for an appointment or they'll kind of start the process. And then what's done is an assessment is done like a low vision assessment and low vision is sort of like, you've got vision left. That's why we say we serve people who are visually impaired you know, or blind. Occasionally someone will say, well, if you're blind, aren't you visually impaired? Well, yes, right. Everyone who's blind is visually impaired, but not everyone who's visually impaired is blind. That's the distinction. And so um, that's the first thing. Be aware and alert about that because you might catch someone, help them get the services they need before they're willing to even admit it or deal with it. Right. And you may save them some heartache of um, time where they could have been getting a solution that they didn't even know existed. Um, beyond that, uh, certainly anyone who's connected with, uh, New York city government, we've got some great relationships there. And so there, I know there's some efforts being made right now through the council to, uh, to look at employment and workforce development for people with disabilities. Um, again, you have a large number of people on the sidelines who are not working and some of them are very qualified to help companies. So during a time when companies, can be struggling to find people uh, to do certain jobs or whatever. Um, there may be a, a talent pool that they really haven't thought about that they could tap into. Um, so that is a, another opportunity is just connecting with us um, in that regard. Uh, and, and from a council standpoint, just supporting that, you know, asking your city council person when you're at a, an event, your city council member, Hey, what are you working on that, that might help people with disabilities to become more engaged in the community? Because Tommy, here's the thing for me is we start with the individual, right? But then, but then helping that individual affects the family and then the family gets strengthened, more families get strengthened. And now the community, the fabric of the community is strengthened. And so in a, and not, not to get a little too pie in the sky, but what I would say is that by doing these things, right, helping each other in this regard, we actually sort of end up helping, you know, ourselves, all of us in certain ways, if you're less dependent on government, as an example, to help with certain services or certain things, you're more independent than, right? It's not as much of a, a, a pull on, on resources. And so we can all do those sorts of things. Yeah. We will have some events coming up. 
Um, I know in the spring we're looking to have, it'll be a fundraising event in April and I'll get more information to you about that. And then uh, later next year, we'll have more. We have not done due to COVID. We just haven't done a lot of the, um, we weren't really established with, you know, those sort of larger events prior to, to COVID. And so we're, we're figuring some of that out. Uh, you know, <laughs> it just blows, you know, I chuckle because it blows my mind, Scott, like how if we, we are all connected, we're supposed to be here for each other. We're supposed to be a community. You're supposed to be doing these things. And, um, and listen, when I say, when I start this, I feel myself sounding a bit negative. So I'm going to pull back here a little bit because there are so many organizations and so many community people that are doing sure. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to knock that. Not, and I, you certainly yeah. But I just think that the obvious thing is we're supposed to be part of a community where this is a all, for, all for one, one for all. Not, you know, yeah. and again, at a time when it's very scary in a geopolitical sense on, on this planet right now, um, it, it just goes, where is the bottom line of where we're supposed to be supporting each other and propping each other up? You know, you know you're yeah. so right. One minute. So <laughs> no, you're so right. And look, I, I, I'm one of those people who talks to the Uber drivers a lot. The yeah. Uber drivers are probably like, I wish this guy would stop talking to me. Um, but you know, I get to, and I tell you what, you just get to know about people and someone that you didn't know, like literally someone I didn't know before I opened the door to their vehicle yeah. and, yeah. and sat down. Right. And you can learn things just in a, a short ride in an Uber. Right. So how much more could we learn if, if we really took a chance to, to talk right. to people? But I, I would say this, we send kids to camp. We have blind kids that are going to camp that are doing things like throwing axes, right? We want these guys, we want these blind youth yeah. to have the experiences that sighted kids are having, because once they realize they can do these things and they don't have to be afraid and their parents are a lot of times the ones that are holding them back because the parents are afraid, you know, and for, rightfully so they're, they're worried about, you know, how's my child going to do without me? So I would also say, um, it would be very helpful, even if it's not, you know, a, a, a big in-person fundraiser, you ask how people get help. I'll just tell you, if they go to alphapoint.org and alphapoint with an E, A-L-P-H-A-P-O-I-N-T-E.org, um, you know, we would love to have a donation in the name of someone, you know, who's visually impaired or someone who, who a family member who's passed away or whoever it might be, because that donation of $50 or $100, whatever it might be, helps send a kid to camp. It helps us buy a cane for someone who's never, hasn't been out of their house in three years or whatever it might be. Um, that allows that individual to now feel differently about themselves and, and the snowball can start to roll in a positive direction instead of the negative direction that it, that it may have been for years prior. It's a beautiful thing you just said. I don't really have any more to add to it. We are, we are out of time. This is, I've learned so much from hanging with you today, Scott. I know anybody listening has learned a lot. Alphapoint.org. It's all over Facebook. A-L-P-H-A-P-O-I-N-T-E.org. Scott, I'm glad you're my buddy. Thanks for being here. Thanks for investing the time with me today. Everybody, make it a great day. I'll talk Thank to you, my friend. Take care, Scott.
business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 